0: Welcome to The Art of Range, a podcast focused on rangelands and the people who manage them. I'm your host, Tip Hudson, Range and Livestock Specialist with Washington State University Extension. The goal of this podcast is education and conservation through conversation. Find us online at artofrange.com. Welcome back to The Art of Range. We have a larger than usual list of guests today, so I'm going to introduce the topic before we introduce all of the people. Uh, we, we would like to periodically highlight on the podcast articles either from uh, Rangelands Ecology and Management or the Rangelands Journal that, uh, that managers should know about. There's an awful lot of range science that is really useful applied science, and much of this does not get communicated adequately so, we want to take one small step in that direction to uh, highlight individual articles every once in a while. Uh, the folks that are on um, with us today wrote an article published in 2021 in Rangeland Ecology and Management titled A Synthesis of Ranch Level Sustainability Indicators for Land Managers to Communicate Across the U.S. Beef Supply Chain. The article is open access, so it doesn't cost a lot of money or require an institutional login to get to, and we will put the direct link in the show notes. Uh, We do have uh, a pretty good list of folks with individual contributors that represent uh, a number of different organizations. So we're going to go around our virtual room here for introduction, and uh, you can say, who are you, what organization? Are you associated with and how did you come to be doing range work? And uh, Marissa, I think we'll start with you.
1: Yeah. Hi, Tip. Thanks for having us today. Um, My name is Marissa Allering. I am the lead scientist for the Nature Conservancy in Minnesota, North Dakota, and South Dakota. And the simplest way to say, sort of, what I do is that I'm, you know, I'm science support for our conservation work in those three states. And however, I guess I would say my background is really prairie ecology, grassland ecology. I'm, I'm a lover of prairies and grasslands. And I, you know, that's how I've come to do this work in this, in this region, in this area. Um, rangelands, grazing lands, thinking about sustainability and grazing um, is all really important to conservation of grasslands and prairies. So, so yeah, that's me.
0: Great, welcome, uh, Claire.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having us tip. Um, My name is Claire Kazanski, and I'm a scientist with the Nature Conservancy and I sit in our North America region where I support our North America sustainable grazing lands um, strategy. And similar to Marissa, I have a a deep love of prairies and grasslands. I'm not a rancher myself or, or from a ranching family, but have kind of grown up near some of those systems and just have always gravitated to thinking about um, to thinking about them, my my science and my research uh, started with uh, soil and roots and carbon, um, and it was really grown from there. And I do a lot of work collaborating with social scientists to so think kind of about the big the big picture and the whole system. Um, and that's that's a little bit about how I've come to this work.
0: Great, thank you, Patrick.
1: Yeah,
3: great. Thanks, uh, like everyone else said, for having us and for getting this information out. My name is Patrick Lindrum. I'm the science program lead for World Wildlife Fund's Northern Great Plains program uh, based out of Bozeman, Montana. I guess I'm a little bit of a black sheep of this group in the sense that my training is wildlife biology. I studied everything from insects to grizzly bears, uh, but when the opportunity came to work on conservation in the grasslands, least protected, most at-risk biome, uh, across the globe, really, it was an opportunity I couldn't say no to, and I haven't looked back. So thrilled to be here! Thank you, uh, Corey.
4: Yeah, thank you. My name is Corey Knapp, and I work as an assistant professor at the University of Wyoming in the Haupt School of Environment and Natural Resources. And I was really trained as a social ecological scientist, so I kind of straddle the words, the worlds of sociology and ecology, and. I got into this sort of work growing up in Colorado. I loved these big mountain parks that they have, North Park and South Park, and they were my favorite places to spend time. And I always thought how wonderful it would be to be able to um, work with the people who work the land there. And so I started out as a qualitative social scientist and over the years have done hundreds of interviews with ranchers. And so I'm very curious about how ranchers think about sustainable land practices.
0: Thank you, Sherry.
5: Yes, hi, I'm Sherry Spiegel. It's wonderful to be with you all today. It's really exciting to be able to talk about the work um, after writing it together. Um, so, I am a rangeland management specialist at the Hornada Experimental Range in Las Cruces, New Mexico, which is in South Central. New Mexico, pretty close to Texas and Mexico. Um, so that's a USDA Agricultural Research Service unit where we have a huge uh, research ranch. Um, so I get to be a scientist at the Hornada, And then I'm also a co-lead of a project called the Sustainable Southwest Beef Coordinated Agricultural Project, which is a project of research extension and education um, where we're looking at strategies for more sustainable, beef production um, in supply chains that originate on southwestern ranches. And how I came to love rangelands, I've always been interested in the intersection of the environment and food production. Um, and I also just love wide open spaces and arid climate. So what better way to put that all together than in rangeland ecology and management? Um, and so I do have my master's in range management and then a PhD that's range range management related. So focusing on ecology, but the other aspects of range management, socioeconomic um, pieces and productivity pieces and environmental pieces and trying to minimize trade-offs among goals. So thank you again for having me.
0: Yeah, thank you. I'm, I was really intrigued by the the title of the article. Uh, partly because i also am interested at the intersection of food and natural resources and and i have said over and over again that i i feel like rangelands-based livestock production is one of the only sectors i guess of of agriculture that is um sort of by definition the most sustainable but it (laughs) <laughs> Saying that reminds me of a talk that I heard by Nathan Sayer a number of years ago regarding the word sustainability and and the sometimes meaninglessness of these buzzwords that that we use all the time to the point that they almost don't have any meaning uh, and and he pointed out that sustainability is nearly a, a circular argument anything that that still persists, has to be by definition sustainable because it's still here. So anyway, my my recollection of that talk is that he was telling those of us who are in the range science community uh, and working with ranchers to be specific about what it is that we think we're concerned to sustain. And uh, it looks to me like that's what you tried to chase down with this synthesis effort. So that's my interest in the article, but I'm curious from your end, uh, what were the set of circumstances or needs that you were aware of that led to uh, working on this project, which in my opinion has been, it is a tremendous service to those of us who are working at this intersection of um, landowners, land managers, ranchers, and range science.
1: Yeah, this is Marissa. Um, I think I I can take a shot at that um, because at how this sort of began and, and how we got started, because it's it's sort of funny. It was not, we didn't start actually, I don't think, with an intention of doing a synthesis and thinking about it from um, from that sustainability perspective and kind of trying to define what that looks like. We started um, basically, uh, Claire and, and Patrick and I, TNC and WWF, World Wildlife Fund, Nature Conservancy, were thinking about baseline assessments for continuous improvement on rangelands and what we needed to do, what we needed to monitor, and how we needed to set that up to think about, you know, tracking continuous improvements. Initially, we were really initially focused on Nature Conservancy lands and our ranching partners, um, you know, both with the Nature Conservancy and with World Wildlife Fund, and mostly in the Northern Great Plains, because that's where I am focused and that's where Patrick is focused. That was kind of our, our initial focus. Um, thinking and and focus for the project. And we didn't want to reinvent the wheel. We wanted to see what was out there already, um, because, you know, we knew assessments already existed. And then when we went to look, we really got overwhelmed by what was out there and and started to think about, you know, there's so many different approaches and so many different assessments. And so we said, all right, well, let's line them up and compare them and see, you know, what are the commonalities um, to see if we can get a handle on all right? What are the things we might wanna be tracking? Where is there agreement? Why, where might there be discrepancies? And so once we did that, we thought, oh, you know, this might actually be useful to other people beyond us who get kind of overwhelmed with the same thing when they might wanna start down this road. Um, and so that I would say is kind of the genesis. And then we started to think about when we sat down and thought about how we share this, Um, we we started to think about, well, how might this be useful to others, Um, especially thinking, you know, the Nature Conservancy World Wildlife Fund are both parts of um, involved in the U.S. roundtable for sustainable beef and work with partners kind of across the supply chain and had noticed this kind of general interest in tracking improvement over time um, around sustainability. And so then we were also trying to sort of figure out how we could connect the synthesis with those efforts. Um, and the other parts of the supply chain as well so so that was kind of the I guess the short story of the genesis of, of where the project started um,
0: yeah it feels like a significant challenge just because there's so many <clears throat> so many angles or so many facets to this uh, you know to this object that we're calling ranch sustainability there's all of the ecological or environmental um, sustainabilities as well as economic and social and probably more that maybe don't even fit into those categories.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, to your points about definition of sustainability um, and we we had this conversation early on when we were thinking about this too, because, you know, we reviewed a number, number of different approaches and The different approaches use different terms. Like you know, some of them are really focused on what we regenerative, or you know, we use sustainability, or they use different words. But what we really found was that they were all kind of really describing the same vision, and we needed one word to sort of be consistent throughout the paper. And and sustainability really has those three components, kind of clearly defined: the ecological, social, and economic. And we kind of saw that in the indicators, and so we thought that. We sort of chose that as a framework for, for the paper. But um, I don't know. I, th- I know that other co-authors have, have thoughts on this as well.
4: I'll jump in. I, I think that the sustainability framing is, is really important because when it comes down to it, it's about what people value and what they care about. And so when we think about this kind of three-legged stool of ecological, social, and economic Really, what we measure is what we pay attention to. And so, in my view, what we've assembled in this paper is excellent. It's a really rich set of commonly included indicators. And it also shows where there there are gaps that need to be filled or where maybe certain values aren't being incorporated enough in that process. And so, I'm kind of excited as this for this is a stepping off point too, to think about more participatory community level workshops that could help to tease out how various stakeholders value different attributes of sustainability in different systems. I
5: couldn't agree more. I, that's such a excellent, an excellent and important point. Um, I think agreeing, I also agree with Nathan Sayre in thinking we need, and saying that we need to be super clear on what we mean by sustainability. And in a lot of ways, it's in the eye of the stakeholder. Um, So it's really important to systematically understand stakeholder values and goals around sustainability um, and then see how different types of innovations, different types of management or policy strategies on rangelands meet those marks or potentially detract from those those marks or those targets in those different domains. Um, in the organizations I work in, we have split out that third that third leg of the stool. That that that's that's pretty popular. So it's it's often social, economic. Environments, and I think those are from kind of big UN reports and big UN efforts around sustainability. But it's been helpful for us to split out the social and the economic into social, human condition, and economic. Um, So to really get clear on some of those socioeconomic pieces that I know a lot of folks who are trained more classically in ecology or biology can sometimes have a harder time wrapping their heads around and feel maybe slightly intimidated by some of the socioeconomic variables and indicators. So um, so I find that splitting those out can clarify a conversation. So um, so I work at the in the long term agro ecosystem research network. So that's part of my work with the Hornada. So it's 18 other sites around the country, seeking or evaluating innovations around um, sustainability outcomes in these different regions, and we have found that um, having a kind of a like a five legged table of productivity. Um, the environment, economics, social cohesion, and human condition helps us get really clear about what we're talking about. And that's why, and I know this paper has been super helpful for people in that network also to see how our work can apply more broadly and how it fits in, um, how it compares and contrasts with other indicator frameworks.
0: Yeah, I think the broad list of organizations represented by the authors seems to be uh, speaking to that somewhat. You wouldn't expect that the World Wildlife Fund has the same interests as the Savory Institute, as the Bureau of Land Management, as the Noble Research Institute. You know, they, but I think in 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 a number of these uh, ecological spheres, sometimes this sort of assessment framework provides for a, a common uh, a common language so that people are not talking past each other. Cause I think oftentimes we're valuing the same things, but we use different, different words and have different concepts in our head to describe it. And this seems to begin to d- define some of that.
2: Yeah. Tip, this is Claire. I, I agree. And I think it's, it, in my experience, it was one of the really wonderful parts about this project was working across, um, a, a broad list of, 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 folks. And, um, so we, maybe to give a little bit of background on kind of how we got there, um, when we were starting and, and reviewing and, and looking to kind of synthesize across all these existing, um, resources and, and guidance documents, um, we wanted for the very <laughs> first level to make sure that, we were interpreting the meaning and intent of those um, sources correctly. And so we reached out to connect with the authors where we could find them. Um, and then through that process in, and in conversation, um, invited folks in to join the project and bring their perspective. Um, and so that's that led to this, this large group um, of 20 co-authors. We have 14 different institutions represented, like you said, including different environmental nonprofits, uh, ranching organizations and grazing lands coalitions, uh, USDA's ARS, BLM, um, and the University of Wyoming. And having the opportunity to dialogue and connect with such a, a large and diverse group really developed, you know, led to really rich conversations and I think a much richer um end product um as a result than anything that we could have done on our own. Um, so I think it really w- was a, a key piece of kind of looking and thinking about, you know, the commonalities across these different resources and all the amazing, amazing work that has been done um, before that we were really simply kind of trying to bring together and um, shed some light on. Uh, so it was I think a key, a key piece of this, of this whole work.
0: Yeah. I apologize if I missed it somewhere. D- does, does the list of organizations represent the organizations that are responsible for many of the certification programs and assessment protocols that are listed in the synthesis?
2: Yes. It, it, it represents a a good number of them, not all of them, but, yeah. but many of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think Rangelands in general are often said to be significant because they're big. They occupy a large percentage of the land area, both in the United States and around the world. And the beef industry is one of the, probably the primary economic user of rangelands. Uh, but I feel like it's worth discussing some of the other, um, you know, major issues. Ecosystem services or benefits provided by range lines that you've pointed out in the article, soil carbon, biodiversity, stabilizing soil, uh, providing people a sense of place. You know, these are some of the things that are, it's hard to put a dollar value on them and you don't realize sometimes that they're valuable until they're gone. You know, they, you have a a view shed that, that gets, um, you know, some set of structures put up in the middle of it or a neighborhood pops up in a spot that didn't have one and you realize that place will never be the same and you can't put a dollar value on that. Um, and and there's, you know, the benefits of uh, providing economic stability to rural communities. There's an awful lot of sociological and cultural benefits of rangelands and the beef industry uh, that maybe get get. Overlooked, And I think these indicators provide a way to begin to at least identify what those values are, even if we're not able to put, um, you know, quantify it in some kind of a, a, you know, a value system.
4: Yeah, I'll jump in and just really agree with you with that. I think that one of the most important things about our rangelands are the diverse benefits that they provide to people that don't even live in rangelands, to people that live in urban areas. And, you know, when we think about the historical settlement of rangelands in the Western United States, especially, water was so critical. So when we look at private rangelands, they're often the most productive, um, lower elevation, lots of water, uh, critical resources and fairly arid environments. And like you said, you know, they provide such a suite of ecosystem services, things that we don't typically think about. You know, we think about clean air and water, carbon cycling, um, but things like sense of place and cultural connectivity, habitat and view sheds are all really, really important to these places. And so when we're thinking about how we're measuring sustainability, I think it's really important for us to think about what the metrics that we're measuring with capture and what they fail to capture. And so to me in this project, I really loved looking at the gaps and thinking about um, what would or would not be captured with these indicators. So when we think about things like you know the rise of large corporate ranches, um, you know, do we think that those are as sustainable as family farms and in what ways and what type of ecosystem services are both of them providing? And so, yeah, I think it's a really interesting question, both what the indicators can tell us about sustainability now, but also where the gaps might be where we're not fully getting at the sustainability of systems.
0: Yeah, and I feel like, too, it helps people think through how to communicate the values of ranching. If I'm a rancher, you know, whether or not I stay in business largely depends on whether or not I can continue to. M- make any money or at least cover my operating costs running a ranch, but but that may not have a whole lot of bearing on whether or not the people in town think that ranching is a, a valid use of rangelands in that particular area. You know, so those people may value the view of my place off of Highway 70, but that doesn't really have any economic value to me and plays not much part... In whether or not I I continue, but some of those things have a tremendous sociological value that again we don't recognize in, until they're gone.
5: The importance of connecting links across the supply chain and helping consumers to understand the role of ranching and the role of rangelands in beef production, I think, is a really important. Um, job for scientists, for extension folks, for all curious consumers and interested consumers and citizens, um, and those working in rangeland communities, I think that just consumer awareness of how the ecosystem services or cultural services that we value on rangelands are really part of that whole supply chain. Um, I think is quite important for the future of sustainable agri-food systems. And here I go using that sustainable word again uh, without defining it necessarily, but with agri-food systems that reflect values uh, of a lot of folks in rural and in urban areas. So one of the things I really appreciate about this paper is the explicit link um, between rangelands and the full beef supply chain. And I think the Nature Conservancy has done an excellent job of really illuminating some of those links in their work. So I'm really thrilled to work with them on that. And all the whole list of authors, it was really interesting to hear perspectives. And that continues today. Um, but yeah, this, I think, kind of consumer awareness and just general understanding that the beef on your plate actually you know came with a whole packet of, of services with it, and that's why it's important to look at all those different domains, I think too, of sustainability.
0: Yeah, let's get into that a bit. I may have beat around the proverbial bush a little too long, but in the in the article, uh, toward the end of the uh, toward the end of the introduction, it looks like there's some purposes listed. Uh, so I want to know are uh, is this what you were? aiming for with the article, we've talked about it a little bit. The object, one of the objectives was to understand what measurements are currently being used to track rangeland health and various kinds of sustainability of management, uh, as well as indicators for social and economic health as one purpose. Uh, I guess a corollary purpose is to equip ranchers and range managers with the tools necessary to measure and manage and communicate uh, these sustainability concepts. And then, and then thirdly, to identify some of the gaps in indicators that require some further development. Is that an accurate summary of uh, what the goals were?
2: Yeah, tip. This is Claire. I think I think that's about right. I think the only thing I'd um, add to it is that we were a little less focused on tools per se and really more on the indicators and the information that could help um, ranchers and producers in Adaptive management um, on their operation, and also inform other sustainability goals across the supply chain for companies and and, and consumers. And so, I think really focused on sort of the indicators as that foundation from which you know there could be multiple metrics for a particular indicator. For example, you um, know you can measure water quality in lots of different ways. Um, And so we were kind of getting less into that and really focusing on kind of what's that base level of indicators and even beyond that, the tools of how you would do it. Um, There's lots of different ways um, and resources there. So we were kind of starting at that ground level of just like what's that um, commonly understood view of those key indicators um, across all these different resources and organizations providing guidance.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure how that. What's the best way to go about this? But I, th- I think it'd be worthwhile to talk through some of the certification programs and the uh, land health protocols that you used in the synthesis, and that should lead us to discussing, uh, have a discussion about the indicators. What was the process of of uh, going through this?
1: Yeah, this is Marissa. We. Well, the, pro- the process was, was messy, as you could kind of imagine, with 21 different syntheses. And we basically, you know, rounded up all of the, the various indicators, metrics into one and then lined things up where they matched. Sometimes we kind of had to categorize um, and simplify or resummarize or group um, so that, that was the process of like winnowing down. And then as Claire said earlier, um, we reached out to authors of these, um, approaches where we could to try to make sure we were interpreting correctly when we summarize and synthesize these things. Um, but it was, it was challenging for a few reasons and, and in terms of, cause there's quite a difference in the, we had 21 different approaches depending on how you, lumper group because some of the riparian stuff really is paired with some of the terrestrial stuff but um, we in looking at all of those they there's a wide spectrum of kind of what they represent we tried to keep it fairly high level so we tried to stay we didn't I'm sure there are other assessments out there that we did not include that are maybe more focused region like on small regions or particular parts of states or communities, we, we tried to look at assessments that were kind of bigger picture, bigger in scope and scale. Um, and then from there, we also recognize that there, and you can, in the table, in the paper, you can see they're kind of grouped by, there's some that are certification assessments where there's actually, you know, a third party certification involved. There are some that actually have protocols for how to measure those indicators and are, are very in-depth protocols like the um, the NRI protocol that is in there, um, as well as some of the others. Um, and then there's, there's a set of approaches that are more just frameworks and don't have they're kind of bigger picture. These are the things you should think about. They don't necessarily have protocols um, attached to them. And so, you know, trying to line those things up gets gets a little challenging too, but we, we kind of did our best, best um, at that. And so that's, that's where we came up with these kind of group of indicators at, at a higher level, even though some of them really specified metrics. We kind of took it a step above that. Some of them, maybe you could use as in, as metrics themselves, like something you would actually measure on the ground. Some of these indicators, um, for instance, like abundance or of native plants or invasive species, like there are many different ways you could measure that. And we haven't necessarily specified that here. Um, we're just, you know, some level of tracking native plants or invasive plants is common among these approaches. So does that kind of answer your question?
0: Yes, I suspect there will be a lot of people that are not familiar with some of the certification programs. Uh, so I, it might, uh, I would like to just visit about a couple of them. Uh, you list uh, for those that are not going to be able to look at the table while we're discussing it. You know, across on the horizontal there are lists of certification programs, and then uh, land health evaluation protocols, such as interpreting indicators of rangeland health. Uh, I'm not as familiar with some of the certification programs. So I thought, uh, can you describe a couple of those, maybe the ones that you know are more broadly used or might be more familiar?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think one of the maybe more broadly used ones that we looked at was the Savory Ecological Outcome Verification. And we also included their kind of holistic management planning process. And with that, they're kind of two separate documents. There's also another one, Audubon bird-friendly land, which is kind of growing in in our region anyway. I think maybe it's grown even more in other regions, but in the Northern Great Plains, it's been growing a fair bit. This is run by the National Audubon Society. Um, And obviously, you know, they call it bird-friendly land. They're really, as the Audubon Society, is focused on Birds and bird conservation, but really have designed it to be a holistic ranch sustainability um, assessment, where they certify the certify the ranch as sustainable, and then the beef actually gets a, a stamp or a you know a sticker on it that says certified as Audubon bird friendly when it's sold in the stores as well. So, the idea I think behind certification programs is that they will help bring um, price premiums um, or. You know, extra benefits, um, economic benefits to the ranchers.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have been surprised, but I I was surprised by the remarkable degree of commonality, particularly across the ecological indicators. Um, I think that's an encouraging thing. It feels like that maybe means that we're agreeing on some uh, you know ways to measure ecosystem processes that. that has not been the case for a while. Uh, can you walk through some of those ecological indicators?
1: Yeah, Patrick, maybe do you want
0: sure. to that? Sure, yeah, happy to.
3: Um, or at least I'll start with it and see who else would like to chime in. But uh, I agree, um, Tip, that it's great to see that there is some cohesion and agreement, um, particularly on those economic indicators. But I'll also say what surprised me is that we identified over 180 indicators um, across these 21 assessments. And personally, I didn't expect that large of a variety. Wow. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it, uh, without sort of a core set, it is easy to get distracted and be measuring different things and maybe not be able to tell that cohesive story. Um, so, as we went through those and pulled out really what are the most commonly used indicators, we did find about 12 ecological ones that jumped out. Um, And again, I think it's important to note that, like we said, this was a synthesis. These are not ones that we are saying are the ones, but they were the most commonly identified ones that have a a good bearing on ecological health and ranch sustainability at that ranch level. Uh, For the ecological ones, they really boiled down into sort of four big buckets, I'd say, uh, there's vegetation, soil, water, and biodiversity. And those are intermingled, of course, depending on how you talk about them. But really what those broke into was plant abundance, diversity, and productivity of both native and non-native or invasive species. Uh, ground cover was another overarching theme. So bare ground or litter depth uh, within that ground cover category. And then we're hearing more and more about the importance of soil, the building blocks, right? And that's shown, too, in these different assessments. Uh, so, soil carbon was one of those, um, soil stability as well, or erosion, and then soil compaction, or bulk density, were really sort of the three top soil indicators that jumped out to us. Uh, for the biodiversity piece, I can obviously include plant diversity, but if we think of that from the wildlife side, um, that was a little more general. I'd say it's really what are those animal species of interest to the ranch or to the audience that you're communicating to. But uh, a main one that was throughout most of the assessments was grassland bird, diversity and abundance. Uh, we know that birds can be great indicators of ecological rangeland health, reflective of grazing management patterns of habitat patch size um, so grassland birds was a big one there and then from the water side we also identified water retention or water infiltration as being an important one and then water quality as well and i think uh, marissa mentioned earlier the importance of riparian condition so that's our our final ecological indicator um, and riparian condition as we all know it's a uh, favored area by livestock and it's also an area that can uh, provide habitat for 70 to 80 percent of the species diversity in rangelands so a critically important one to pay attention as well Um, but again these are all sort of site ranch specific some of the ranches might not have those riparian areas so these all need a little flexibility when interpreting them um those ecological ones, important for ranch-level sustainability. We're going to keep throwing that word out throughout this uh, interview here. Um, but it's also important when you think about the entire supply chain, too. So there it's useful to be able to communicate these ecological indicators. Um, if you're talking about the climate, water, biodiversity benefits of uh, sustainable or regenerative, whatever buzzword you want to use, grazing practices... Um, in those cow calf operations in particular. Uh, so those were really the, the twelve ecological indicators. And then throughout this assessment we also pulled out eight social socioeconomic indicators as well. And those really had less consistency. Um, and that is is one of the gaps that we identified too. But of those eight socioeconomic indicators, uh, the first one I'll talk about is forage utilization. And we went back and forth. Is this an ecological indicator? Is this a social? Is it an economic? And really, we felt it was one that ties all three of those together. And it depends on the grazing practice. It depends on the environmental condition um, and that utilization and standing biomass really leads to economics as well. So we thought that was an important one to include. Uh, We also included livestock and non-livestock related income. You know, many ranchers track this. It's not one we're saying should be, uh, you know, assessed by an outside group and communicated across, but it's obviously an important one to the livelihood and sustainability of that operation. Um, There's also operational energy use. And so if you can lower those costs and increased profits, um, important piece for the economic sustainability, also capacity to experiment. So is there some extra leeway in those economics or in those practices that ranchers have the ability to try new practices or adapt with conditions, um, Leads to that adaptive management component? And then from the social side as well, really a uh, connection to the community is obviously important to those on the land. Um, and while we're focused on ranch-level indicators, that ranch-level community cohesion is incredibly important. Um, and that feeds into satisfaction of livelihoods. Is this a livelihood that ranchers uh, want to keep doing? Is it working? Or does something need to change? And how does that feed into the overall community health and well-being? Um, These are ones that are talked about less in supply chain sustainability as well. But hopefully this paper can help indicate the importance of those and that this should be something people should be thinking across the entire supply chain and what an important piece of that community well-being on the land is in order for everything to be uh, one big sort of cohesive, holistic
0: picture. Yeah, I think part of what this says to me is that the, it, it's this highlights the importance of ranching in a way that that is truly sustainable in the ways that we're defining it. Because the benefits of doing it well are really significant; they're they're large ecologically and economically. Uh, but the flip side is also true. The, there there's a tremendous uh, ecological and social cost. If we do ranching in a way that is not sustainable and uh, maybe it's wishful thinking, but it seems like there's a, a what do they call that a virtuous cycle. There's a potentially a positive feedback loop where if we imagine a way that is ecologically sustainable, it it should at least be possible for it to be economically sustainable. And I'm curious if you all feel like that is borne out by your evaluation of these certification programs, which I think probably rely on that idea. But uh, do you feel like that holds up under scrutiny? Yeah, this is Patrick again. I'll jump in on that one. Um,
3: Yes, absolutely. Or at least, like you said, that's the hope and the intent. Um, We talked earlier about this sort of three-legged stool or maybe five-legged stool might be a little more resilient. Um, but you pull one of those pillars and the whole thing collapses. And I think that's pretty well understood and recognized um, The intricacies of those relationships might be less well understood or what thread can you tug on and the stool still stands or which one, you know, like a Jenga board, you push it out and the whole thing collapses. Um, but overall, our... Our understanding and going through this process and why all three of these sustainability measures need to be a piece of this is because they are so interconnected. Um, the rangelands, grasslands are incredibly resilient. You know, they've evolved with disturbances, fire, grazing, um, droughts are nothing new. But at some point, they do hit a tipping point. And so the the hope is that by monitoring and measuring over time, um, changes can be made before those tipping points are reached. And that feedback loop keeps the sustainability um, from a social and economic piece in place as well.
0: Thank you for listening to the Art of Range podcast. You can subscribe to and review the show through iTunes or your favorite podcasting app so you never miss an episode. Just search for Art of Range. If you have questions or comments for us to address in a future episode, send an email to show at artofrange.com. For articles and links to resources mentioned in the podcast, please see the show notes at artofrange.com. Listener feedback is important to the success of our mission, empowering rangeland managers. Please take a moment to fill out a brief survey at artofrange.com. This podcast is produced by Connors Communications in the College of Agricultural, Human, and Natural Resource Sciences at Washington State University. The project is supported by the University of Arizona and funded by the Western Center for Risk Management Education through the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed by guests of this podcast are their own and does not imply Washington State University's endorsement.